Well, on behalf of the leadership and staff here at State College Alliance Church, I am honored to welcome you to our Easter services. And we're praying that today will be a powerful encounter as we worship our risen Savior and celebrate the centerpiece of our faith. Today, we're participating in an event that is celebrated by over 2 billion people around the world. That is a third of the global population. And it is this weekend that unites us under the reality of the greatest act of love and triumph that the human race has ever known. This week, we remembered the cross. Today, we celebrate the empty tomb. So whether you're a long-term member of this church or you're a guest from another town or state, country, or even continent, we are glad that you're here as we celebrate these three words. He is risen. And our prayer for you today is that your faith will be deepened, that new faith will be kindled, that the unstoppable power of Christ will be made manifest here, today, now. And I'm going to ask you now to turn into the book of Philippians chapter 2. And while you turn there, let me share a little account that I remembered from my childhood. When I was a kid, I remember taking a long family bike ride. And the particular memories of this event are a little fuzzy because they're 35 or 40 years old at this point. But I remember that we stopped at this old well. It was like one of those old kind that you see in a Western movie. And so I ran to it as a little kid, and I started pumping up and down on that handle, which clanked and groaned and produced absolutely nothing. And so my assessment was, well, the well was empty or the pump was broken, or either way, we weren't going to be getting any water. Well, my dad, I remember, sort of smiled knowingly, and he began pouring out some of the little water that we did have, patiently working the handle and saying that we needed to prime the pump. And my little kid brain was confused. I, I didn't know what he meant by that, but it, I remember thinking, Dad, it looks like you're wasting water, and now I'm really starting to feel thirsty. I wonder if some of you today would relate to that concept of thirst, that idea of longing, feeling dry. You know, as a church, we spent an early portion of this year on the theme of hope. And we acknowledge that the last 12 months have been, among many things, disruptive, disorienting, discouraging. People are grieving. People are hurting. People are angry. And if there was ever a time to say, our world needs hope now more than ever. I started asking the question as we came out of last year, what story will you tell? What story will I tell? Will we simply mirror the angst and the fear and the anger that we see around us? And we started saying, no, you know, we have a hope that is not diminished even when the world feels upside down. And today, and for the sermons over the next few weeks, we will say unapologetically that hope has a name. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He is the object of our worship. He is the centerpiece of our faith. He carried the cross and overcame the grave. He is still, in fact, in the business of changing lives. And so he says to a thirsty world, come to me and I will give you living water. So let's turn to Scripture today and let us read from the Apostle Paul his letter to the Philippians. 
So Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and following, Paul has actually just said this. He says, your relationships with one another have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. And then this is how he describes our Lord and Savior, who, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God add blessing to the reading of His Word this morning. You know, as we look at this passage, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it that makes the story of Easter so special? Why all the fuss? Why are so many people responding and celebrating on a day like today? Why does Jesus, who never wrote a book, who never fought a war, never owned property, declined political power, and who never traveled more than a couple hundred miles from the place of his birth, why does he continue to have a global and growing following while most of us will be forgotten after a couple generations after our death? Why does this passage of Scripture that we're looking at today, what does it reveal to us about the person of Jesus Christ? And I would argue that it reveals a lot to us. I'm going to highlight three things in the context of today's message. It it highlights the lofty claim of Jesus' uncommon origin. We're going to look at the incomparable depth of His selflessness. And then finally, we'll wrap up with a personal invitation to restored worship. What a wonderful centerpiece for us to focus on here today as we look at Jesus Christ on this Easter Sunday morning. So the first is this. We look at the lofty claim of His uncommon origin. I want you just to see right off the bat, Paul says this, who being in very nature God. This is how Paul described Jesus. Who being in very nature God. Now, If you wanted to do a a study and try to say, you know, where would be a good source for us to look at uh, content regarding the resurrection of Christ, I think Paul is an excellent source. First of all, uh, Paul is very consistent in his thematic writing. Paul is credited with writing 13 books of the New Testament, and he consistently writes about various gospel themes. He talks about the church. He talks about present suffering and future joy. He talks about grace and redemption. He talks about adoption and discipleship. But all of these are consistently grounded in Paul's fierce commitment to the gospel. He writes about the death and resurrection of Christ as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. And he does it consistently. The other reason I think Paul is a great uh, source for us on an Easter Sunday morning as we contemplate the resurrection is this. Paul could be categorized as a resistant preacher. It's one of the things that makes him just a wonderful source is that he was deeply hostile to the faith 
In fact, what began with great hostility, he had then an encounter with the risen Christ that caused him then to devote his life so fully to the gospel message that he ended his life as a martyr. So if you want to find out something that people really believe, you need to talk to people who really believe it. Paul did not get rich off the gospel. He did not live a cushy life off the gospel. He got killed for it. He believed in Christ to that extent. Paul believed that Christ was God. And that is a really significant starting place for us today. That is the lofty claim of Christ's uncommon origin. Christians believe that Christ is God. Now, why is that significant for us? It means that Christ is not simply a model for us to emulate, but He is the divine intervener. He is the true Savior. And we say this because at the time of His birth, He was labeled, He was named Emmanuel, God with us. At the time of His baptism, Jesus was called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Even at the hour of His death on a cross, the pagan guard exclaimed, surely this was the Son of God. His resurrection confirmed that He was not of this world, but He came to us from the outside, and the world has never been the same. Colossians 1 says this, that in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and yet He stepped into the history of our world. He walked and He lived among us. This is the lofty claim that keeps us from merely viewing Jesus as just another martyr. The lofty claim of Scripture was that He was God living among us. We see this in Philippians chapter 2. But what else does this passage of Scripture reveal to us about the person of Jesus Christ? We see secondly the incomparable depth of His selflessness. And I'd like to spend the majority of our time on this point here this morning. Verse 7 and 8 says, Rather, He made Himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant. Paul makes a very clear contrast here. Though he was God, he took on the nature of a servant. This is the epitome of what we would call agape love. It is the way that God loves. He loves unconditionally and for the sake of the other, rather than a merit-based affection that you and I are probably very familiar with or very fond of. This was God becoming humanity. God becoming man. Jesus, who had all of the privileges of His eternal glory, set them aside to become an ordinary Jewish baby that was bound for the cross. This is the Creator God entering into the confines of of His own creation in order to impart something to us that we could never achieve on our own. In fact, Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and he says this, Though He was rich, speaking of Jesus, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. 
This is, in and of itself, before you even get to the cross, we see immense selflessness, incomparable depth of Christ's selflessness as He comes to us and condescends to our level. I heard a very touching story uh, about a family whose uh, daughter had, had grown very seriously ill and uh, she was in desperate need of a blood transfusion. And as they began to look for uh, the right match for her, they found that her little brother, who was only five years old, was determined to be the perfect match. And so they explained to this little guy about the need for his big sister. The mom reflected this way. She said, you know, he seemed to ponder this need for a long time before finally and, and very somberly giving us his permission for the transfusion that would help his sister. And so the preparations began to be made. While they were sitting in the back room waiting for the procedure that would help his older sister, and the little boy then asks his mom, um, will this hurt? And she reassures him as a mother can, you know, uh, it, it's going to be okay, it'll be a little pinch, but you'll be fine. But, but then the boy clarified. He said, no, 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 not that part. Will it hurt? when I die. The mom reflected later on this and said, this is why he took so long to decide. He, he thought we were asking him to give all of his blood to save his sister. And after contemplating it, he said yes. What a touching story of, of selflessness. And, and I think there's oftentimes our hearts get moved when we see acts of selflessness. Well, Christ's selflessness goes deeper than merely associating with us. One commentator writes it this way. says, It is remarkable enough that God the Son would take on human form and thus enter into all the vicissitudes of a broken world. But Jesus went much farther, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Crucifixion was not simply a convenient way of executing prisoners. It was the ultimate indignity. It was a public statement by Rome that the crucified one was beyond contempt. The excruciating physical pain, and by the way, we get that word excruciating from out of the cross. The excruciating physical pain was magnified by the degradation and humiliation. No other form of death no matter how prolonged or physically agonizing, could match crucifixion as an absolute destruction of the person. This was the ultimate counterpoint to the divine majesty of the pre-existent Christ. And thus was the ultimate expression of Christ's obedience to the Father. There is a lot at play when Paul writes this simple word, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, I believe that there are two vitally important awakenings that happen when faith takes root in our lives. The first thing is that the Holy Spirit needs to awaken us to the profound work that Christ has done. 
And that would be a win. That would be a step in the right direction if as we contemplate the empty tomb, if that gives us the space today for that awakening to take place as we contemplate the profound work that Christ has done. But the second great awakening is this. The Holy Spirit must awaken us to the reason why Christ did what He did. Because our world, which is broken by sin, has lost the shalom of God. It has lost the peace of God. It has lost the balance of God. All of this has been thrown into disarray by our brokenness. There is a miracle that happens in our lives when the Spirit of God allows us to see we need Him. I need Him. You need Him. And so this passage of Scripture shows us the incomparable depth of His selflessness and leads us to a powerful reality of our own need. Well, let's look at one other thing that this passage of Scripture reveals to us about the person of Jesus Christ. It reveals the personal invitation to restored worship. Read with me in verse 9 once again. It says, Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, I think that in some ways these are some of the most challenging, some of the most beautiful, some of the most life-altering verses in all of the New Testament. Because when Paul says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, he is making a statement of reality. And this reality is deeply offensive to the autonomous self. All of us that pride ourselves on our self-ability, our ability to get the job done, feel a sense of recoil when we are asked to bow our knee to the lordship of anyone else. So these verses are deeply offensive to the autonomous self. But perhaps the question that we need to ask on an Easter Sunday morning when we contemplate the empty tomb and all that Christ has accomplished for us is this. Is Jesus taking something from us? Or is He offering something to us? Now I want to make sure that I'm very clear in this because we are a community of faith. And this is a season when we invite you to consider your own role and your own journey in this community of faith. Make no mistake about this. There is a cost to following Jesus. There's no doubt about it. He acknowledged it many times. He called His followers, in fact, to take up their own cross if they would be His disciple and follow after Him. The cost of following Jesus... It's immense. But I would ask you to consider this. In our world that is defined by self-reliance, self-love, self-absorption, we exhaust ourselves with the endless pursuit of idols that are not worthy 
of our ultimate worship. And where has it gotten us? Oftentimes we find that we've politely asked God to mind His own business, but then find that we are fractured on almost every level in our world. When by a miraculous uh, work of God's stirring, we are awakened to the person of Jesus Christ. And we hope that the worship that we give today, and we hope the message of today and the Scriptures we look at, we hope that the celebration of Easter awakens you to the person of Jesus Christ. And when you are invited to leave behind the broken and to step into the new life that is found at the empty tomb. This is where lives are changed. I could say it no better than N.T. Wright, the theologian who writes in his book, Simply Christian, this wonderful quote. He says, we are made for spirituality, but we wallow in introspection. We're made for joy, but we settle for pleasure. Made for justice, we clamor for vengeance. Made for relationship, we insist on our own way. Made for beauty, we are satisfied with sentiment. But the new creation has already begun. The sun has begun to rise. Christians are called to leave behind in the tomb of Christ all that belongs to the brokenness and incompleteness of the present world. That... It quite simply is what it means to be a Christian. To follow Jesus Christ into the new world. God's new world which He has thrown open to us at the empty tomb. This is the personal invitation to restored worship that some of you are clamoring for today. You see, when we say that hope has a name, Jesus Christ, the name above all names this is what we're saying at his birth he was setting aside his glory to bridge the gap between us in his life he was awakening us to the reality of god's kingdom coming on the cross he was paying a price that we could never afford in the tomb he was conquering our greatest enemies and in his resurrection he was inaugurating the new restoration of God and to this day he welcomes you he welcomes me to find life as we bow our knee to him in restored worship this is what i was made for this is what you were made for is jesus christ trying to take something from you no he is offering you life perhaps as you have never known it before. When we say yes to the perfect work of Christ, we can stop relying on our own broken performance. Among many things that Scripture shows us, reveals to us about the person of Christ, and that we have the privilege of reflecting on on this beautiful Easter morning, this is significant. So I'm going to ask you as we conclude this message to consider this. In response to the cross of Christ and in response to the empty tomb is the most important decision of your earthly life. 
because it will impact your life now and determine your eternal destination. Please understand as you hear these words, there is a hell to be shunned and the power of hell was defeated at the cross of Christ. There is a heaven to be gained and the door to heaven was thrown open at the empty tomb. So for the person who puts their faith in the finished work of Christ, the beautiful reality is this, that this broken world is the closest thing to hell that you will ever need to suffer. But for the person who rejects the finished work of Christ, this broken world is the closest to heaven that you will ever get. Our world is thirsty. Thirsty for something more. And the Spirit of God is stirring. And Jesus Himself came that every one of us would have the opportunity to repent of sin and self-love. This is when we simply acknowledge our need before our Heavenly Father. And if the Holy Spirit begins to quicken in you your need before the Heavenly Father, your need for a perfection that is beyond something that you could ever grasp or attain, look to the person of Jesus Christ. We take repentance seriously. That's a turning away from our sin. We don't go after those things anymore. We don't serve self anymore. But we turn to Jesus Christ and His work. Jesus also gives us the opportunity then as we repent of sin and self-love to receive His finished work on your behalf. We receive Him personally because we need Him personally. Friends, I would ask you to consider that wonderful claim, that wonderful promise, the wonderful work of Christ on our behalf on this Easter Sunday morning. As a child, as I watched my father pour out the water in what appeared to be a waste, as we stood by that old well and water pump, I then stood in amazement delighted amazement as water actually began to come out of that well in abundance. And I think that that image is a great example of what Jesus asks for when He says, trust Me with your life. Bow, my knee to, bow your knee to My Lordship because this is what I want to see happen. When you keep that bottle all to yourself, you will find that you are always thirsting for more. But when you pour out everything to Him, you pour out everything to Him, and you find Him true to His Word that He actually returns to us life in abundance. I want to give you an opportunity this morning as we conclude this service to simply do some business with the Lord. What a great morning for us to contemplate afresh and anew the finished work of Jesus, to contemplate our own need. And perhaps you are ready today to simply say, Jesus, I call out to You. And I would ask You to create this prayer in Your own words as You say, Lord, I, I, I right now repent of sin. I repent of self. I repent of the brokenness that I have held onto too tightly. I look at the finished work 
of Jesus Christ on the cross, Jesus Christ in the tomb, Jesus Christ risen from the dead, overcoming my greatest foes and my greatest fears. And on this Easter Sunday morning, I give everything that I am for His glory and for His finished work. I receive all that He has done on my behalf today. Lord, I pray that You would meet somebody in the powerful name of Jesus today. I pray that salvation would take root in somebody's heart and life, that forgiveness of sin would be poured out, that the new life of Christ would be experienced today. And if you're walking with Christ today, I pray that this Easter Sunday would rejuvenate your commitment to Him, that you would give your heart and your life over to Him all over again, that you would bow your knee in joy and lift up and exalt the name of Jesus Christ. For that is what we are called to do. And I'm going to ask you now, as we conclude this service, to take some time to do some personal business with the Lord. We would love to hear about the ways in which God is stirring in your heart. Whether you're watching this online and, and, and just going to share with us in our response page, we would love to celebrate the work and the commitment that God is calling you to today. We would love to pray for you. And so reach out to us and let us know so that we can be praying and celebrating with you the work that Christ desires to do. He is risen. We serve a risen Lord. And we thank you for celebrating that with us today. Now, as you take some time uh, before him, allow the Holy Spirit to stir your heart, and then we will rejoin in worshipful celebration here in just a few moments. God bless you, and have a wonderful, happy Easter.